Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I have an older brother who's two years older than I am. He had me running against guys like, I bet my little sister could beat you thing. You know, on the side, he would bet them $2 that I could beat them. And uh, needless to say, he made a lot of money and I never got any of it. So... And our guest this week is the new head women's basketball coach at Temple University. Diane Richardson comes to the Owls after a very successful run at Towson out of the CAA. And first of all, Diane, thanks so much for the time. Yeah, thank you. So why was Temple the right job at the right time for you? Well, it's always been, uh, you know, an institution that I, I looked at from afar. You know, both the academics and the athletics of it was appealing to me and you know the people that were before me were here for a long time so uh you know when the opportunity came I thought I would jump on it when you take over a program and as we're talking you've had a couple of uh, weeks to settle in kind of you know where do you start and when you take kind of taking stock of things and you're putting the depth chart together of things that that need to be done where do you start well first of all looking at the players that have returned And then, you know, also before I took the job, I looked at the conference and some of the teams in the conference. And so my first job was to figure out what we had and then what we would need based on the style of play in the conference and the level of athletes in the conference. And for people that aren't familiar, I mentioned you were with Towson with one of the truly underrated conferences in America, in my opinion, in women's basketball and the CAA. What can people expect from a Temple team Uh, with you at the helm. Uh, Talk a little bit about your style, what you want your kids to bring to the table. Well, first of all, we we like, you know, an up-tempo style, and that's been my style as a coach my entire time. And, you know, as a matter of fact, at Towson, two years ago, we were number one in the country of all schools in in, uh, transition offense. And then last year, we were number four in the country. So that that style of up-tempo, a fast break of scoring pretty fast, defense turn into offense is really pretty much the style that I, I'm, I'm accustomed to. So let's talk a little bit about your journey as it starts with sports, reading up on you, a track star, basketball. You know, when you were really young, what did you play? You know, grade school, junior high, were you a kid that played whatever was going on in the neighborhood or did you already have focus on uh, what you loved early? Well, I I pretty much did everything in the neighborhood, but I I have an older brother who's two years older than I am. And uh, he had me running uh, against guys like really like I bet my little sister could beat you thing um, in the streets of our neighborhood. And, you know, on the side, he would bet them two dollars that I could beat them. So I kind of started out with track that way. And uh, needless to say, he made a lot of money and I never got any of it. So, you know, I was young and dumb. But, you know, again, in elementary school, just 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 running so much. And then I learned to love basketball. I played softball, I played everything 
um, pretty much because I wanted to be like my big brother. So I kind of stuck with him when he played football. I wanted to play football, too. So it's been all around for me. When did basketball become something that you started to love, but also kind of realized you were good at? Yeah, um, probably in I played in middle school, just in the rec leagues. And then when I went to high school, um, because I was such a, a, a good track runner, the the coach there in my high school kind of recruited me to run track. But all of the girls on the track team were also on the basketball team. So I, I started to love basketball even more than running and really loved it. And, and you know, it was in the 70s. And so my guidance counselor said, you know, you could get a scholarship to go to college um, now with, you know, in basketball. And we took that route. My, my brother, again, hearing that, knowing that we couldn't afford for me to go to college, he said, well, if, if you're going to get a scholarship, you've got to be pretty good. And then he took me out and had me dribbling around trash cans and took me to the park. And, you know, he would push on me underneath like you got to be able to play with contact, you know, all of that stuff just to get me ready. So did you, you did both sports in college. You went to Frostburg State basketball and track, correct? Yes, yes. And in track, you were, it looks like you excelled at the 200 and the 400. Were there other events you also took, or were you strictly those? Well, I it, at Frostburg, a small school, so I ended up running seven events per meet. So I ran the, the sprints, and then I ran all of the uh, relay races, too. How much of a challenge is that from a stamina standpoint? Is it more challenging well, I, than basketball? Let me say doing seven yeah, events was, at a, at a thing and a, yeah. playing a basketball game. That's probably why I like basketball so much because I didn't have to do so much. Basketball was a team, you know, I was pretty lazy, I guess, as a runner, you know, running all those events. And um, I loved basketball because it was team and, you know, kind of excelled toward the basketball goal. I wanted to be more of a basketball player than a runner. Describe your game as a basketball player. If you were scouting yourself, how mm-hmm. what would you put down on the chart for the for the team to break down? Well, all around. So I had hops for sure. <laughs> I was really athletic back in the day, and uh, you know I could handle the ball. I was a point guard, but I also could leap really high. So I think you know I probably led the team in rebounds as well. Um, so you know, and I was pretty fast. So I scored a lot on fast breaks too. Was there a lot of overlap between your track and basketball? There there was. You know, there are times when we would finish the basketball season and track had already started. And so I would go from one to another. How much of a challenge was that physically? Because that's, that's a lot on the legs, on the knees. Yeah, it, it was. And, uh, you know, I had the conversation with my track coach. Can I at least have a week off or two weeks off? And I remember those conversations, but it it was a lot um, and, and also coupled with being a student as well. So it, it was a lot on me, but, you know, I just did it. With the track, specifically the 200-400, I think you won NCAA championships mm-hmm. uh, and the regionals in that. What is it like to compete in track at that level and to you know, we'll talk a little bit about getting the Olympic spot in a bit, but I mean, that's, mm-hmm. did you realize how special you were at track at the time? Cause I know a lot of kids, you're younger, you're just having success, you're having fun and you're not really yeah. kind of cataloging what you're doing and the level you're doing it at. 
Well, I, I was always competitive and always wanted to win. So the track thing was just kind of just me, just that inner drive that always wanted to to win and didn't think of it as something special, just, you know, from running in the streets in the neighborhood, it was always that I want to win. And sometimes it would take an extra gear to do that. But I think uh, that kind of helped me through the track years. Did you realize that extra gear is something that most people don't have? Like as you're competing, you realize, you know, that certain points at the race, you've got something in the tank that 95% of your competitors don't. I think so. I think it's that extra, you know, the extra pride that, you know, whatever it takes kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I just kind of thrived on that. Like I want to win and, you know, you kind of push yourself and you have that mentality, that winning mentality, and it just comes, you know, and then the winning comes when you have it in your mind that you're going to win. The win comes, you find a way. So you have that success in college running track, and then you actually qualify for the 1980 U.S. Olympic team in the two and 400 or just one? Mm-hmm. In, in the both. two and 400. So, so for people that aren't familiar, you know, what is that like? to qualify for the Olympic team, like what hurdles did you have to jump to get to that point? Well, it started with back in, you know, in the seventies, they took the regional champions um, and you got an automatic bid, you know, automatic qualifier. So we went through all of that and I won in the 200. I was number two in the 200 and number one in the 400 meters. So that gave me the qualifications. And, you know, as we got closer and closer Uh, to, you know, the Olympics, then we got the news that, you know, that we were going to boycott the Olympics in Moscow. And, you know, it was, again, you know, and I I tell people that, of course, it was great to be able to represent your company, but and your country, but at that time, it was kind of scary, because we were kind of at war with Russia. So, you know, the, the offshoot of it is, of course, we would have loved to go, but again, we wanted to be able to come back alive too. How much does that, you know, as a competitor and an Olympic opportunity is so rare and, you know, it's a window that, that closes quickly. Was that difficult to deal with missing that opportunity? You talked about concerns and all that, but it's still kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity that gets taken away from you through no fault of your own. Yeah, absolutely. And and that part and, and, and track and field, you know, you're at your best at certain times. I knew I was at my best at that particular time in my life. And four more years would have been tough for me, um, you know, obviously getting up in age. And then I had already peaked already. So, you know, the letdown from 1980, I figured that I wouldn't be able to make it, you know, in the 84 Olympics. So your athletic career, your college career comes to a close and a lot of people, they would go right, they go right into coaching. You take the business route. Um, was that something at the time where you weighing that you thought maybe you'd want to stay in athletics or did you have an opportunity, have an entrepreneur, like you just, you thought this yeah. was the direction to go? I, I've, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and to be quite honest, I never thought about coaching when I left school. And I wanted to get into the business world. I wanted to do something substantial 
because I knew I had my family to help and to help support. So um, I, you know, jumped into to work. I was a bank teller for a little bit and, you know, kind of moved through the banking and and uh, stepped out uh, in 84 when my daughter was born um, to start a company and then go through through all of that and had some success in business. What was the company? Well, we started out, it was an investment firm. And, you know, lucky for me, I did a lot of speaking across the country because I was talking about the power of saving money. And I started out in in neighborhoods like mine, where we grew up not even thinking about saving money and talked about the importance of it, the importance of going to your HR and and choosing the benefit of your retirement. And we were very successful in doing that across the country. And then started I started working with the federal government in their supplemental plans. And we really just sprouted and our, our company grew and grew and grew. And you know, we were doing a lot of business. We had 2,500 employees across the country. Um, and it was really successful for us. And I wanted to uh, and then we went on into a mortgage company. We did a, had a mortgage company as well. And so I started to donate money toward programs in neighborhoods like where I grew up to help young girls get into sports and to basketball. And, you know, we did that for a few years and, and I would often go to practices and uh, I just I could just see how, you know, these little girls looked like me when I was their age. And, you know, I asked to take one of the teams for a summer, the AAU teams for a summer. And, you know, they're they're kind of ranked A team, B team, C team. You know, well, I think I took the F team (laughs) and uh, we were successful. And I saw the interaction that I had with my young ladies and how it motivated them to get into that second gear. And we ended up winning and having a winning summer. And I thought, you know. It's more about relationships with young ladies than it is about X's and O's. And at that time, I said, I think I want to do this. And I did it part time, you know, in the summers. And then I decided to do it uh, for a high school team while I still, you know, had my company. And, And from there on, it was just I loved doing it. How difficult a decision is it to to pursue the coaching? Strictly from a dollars and cents because you're very successful in business. You've set yourself up. When you're starting out in coaching, you're not. It's not about the money. Like anybody, right. any coach will tell you, if you're doing this for the money, you're doing it for the wrong reason. So, I mean, that's a life. Was that a big lifestyle adjustment? It was. You know, I was spending money coaching, so I definitely wasn't getting any because you know I had young ladies from, you know, inner city that couldn't afford to travel or pay for food. So I was doing a lot of that early and and I didn't mind doing that because somebody did it for me. And when I, you know, I finally, I coached a high school team part-time and we were successful and, you know, tops in the country and top 10 in the country. And I looked at my husband and I was starting to take more and more time away from work than I was, you know, um, for coaching. And I looked at my husband and I said, honey, I'm really enjoying this. I think I'm changing some lives and I would really like to do this full time. And of course, you know, he, we, we've been together since college. So 
And he told me, he said, okay, if that's what you want to do. And he told me later on, he said, I agreed because you were going to do it anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and that was a big decision for us as a family. But, you know, with the support of him, you know, I stepped away from business and went into coaching full time. And, and I've enjoyed it ever since. So at the high school level, correct me if I'm wrong, you're at Riverdale Baptist in Upper Marlboro? In yes, Maryland, in Maryland, yes. You know, yes. so when it becomes all right, I'm doing this full time. Uh, was it a big adjustment from doing it part time? Like when it becomes the thing, uh, where there are more boxes, you realize you had to check and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, again, you know, we we wanted to win, and we wanted to. My first goal, though, was to get these young ladies college scholarships. And so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do it. And, you know, in doing that, I knew I had to get them better with from a skill development. They had to be the top players so the colleges would look at them. And in that quest of getting them better to get a college scholarship, we won. And, you know, we were tops in the country for several years and won national championships. But the goal was to get them college scholarships. And and it was different because, you know, I had to plan. You know, I, I, I come from business where I had secretaries and managers that, you know, opened my email and all of that stuff and did everything for me. Well, in coaching, you don't have any of that. So I had to do travel and all that and, you know, and study hall with the young ladies to make sure they were on top of their grade. So it was all encompassing as a coach for sure. And you talk about wanting to get these young lady scholarships. How much did the business background kind of knowing quote unquote, what the real world is like beyond the basketball court, how much did that help you in that mission and in, in coaching basketball and life lessons that yeah, this is great if we win on Saturday, but there's more to learn and more to experience. Yes, I think that was the biggest thing was the mentoring part of it, where, you know, yes, you're going to play basketball, you're going to do well, but there are so many lessons. And as a CEO of a business, I put those into the basketball as, as well, where different departments and expectations, and if we do this, we'll succeed and kind of taught those lessons to our young ladies but also put them in circumstances where they had to think like it's in the real world. And I think that's one of the biggest things I get from my former student athletes is that, you know, I was a great mentor for them in preparing them for life. You have so much success at Riverdale Baptist, you know, you're a top 10, we're talking multiple national championships. How difficult is it to coach with expectations like that, like teaching kids that every opponent is going to be after you. They know who you are. It is a big deal when you come to their gym. I think it's one thing when you build a when the process of building a program, but keeping it at that level and not allowing slippage. How much of a challenge is that from a coaching standpoint? Yeah, when you when you talk about your core values with the teams, um, you kind of get that. And and one of the things I like to do was to have the student athletes participate in what are what's going to be our vision, what is going to be what we look like so that they take ownership in that. And, and every every game we went into, we expected to win because we knew we would do it together. 
and that we all had the same goals. And it started to be, you know, quite honestly, like business. And, you know, they went in there with that frame of mind as well. Like we, you know, we would break things down the first quarter we would have, you know, each quarter we would have so many points, you know, at the each, each quarter we had to have 20 points. And so we dissected everything and it was like a business, you know, like the production of it. And they knew that and we kind of broke things down like a business and they knew that and they stuck to that and it was business. And they would sometimes say when we would travel to Texas or whatever, this is about business and we need to handle our business. And, you know, that gave them discipline and all the things that I think they could use as they transition into the real life. Do you think you would be as successful in coaching if you had not had the business experience or is that part of your life kind of essential to your success in coaching? I think it's a little bit of both because again, even before becoming a CEO, I was always of the mindset that I could do it, you know, the confidence and, but along with you know, the business world, you understand how to compartmentalize things and put it all together like a pieces of a puzzle. So I think that's led to my success as well in coaching, because I always start, you know, my coaching with goals and strategies and then have buy-in from our student athletes. And I think that's been successful for me as a coach with getting them to buy in and produce a product. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with new Temple University women's basketball coach, Diane Richardson, right after this. And we are back continuing our conversation with Temple's new head women's basketball coach, Diane Richardson. So you have all that success at the high school level. Then you go take the step into college. I think American is your first stop in yes. 2006. Was mm-hmm. it something that it was a, a discussion, a thought that I am ready. I would like to try the college game or does the opportunity come about and it makes you think maybe it's time to try this. Yeah. The opportunity, the, the, the head coach at uh, American Melissa McFerrin had had a few of my, my players, my high school players. And she, you know, talked to me about coming on. She thought I was ready. And I said, yeah, you know, I'll give it a shot. Let me, let me try this. Maybe you're right. And I did. And followed um, a couple of my players there. They were there already and, and went with American um, and, and started as an assistant. And it was it was eye opening for me because I always had that mentor relationship with my high schoolers. But in college, it's a lot different. And, you know, it's more business like than I had imagined um, before. But it obviously was something that clicked with you that you thought this is where I need to be? Yeah. Yeah. Was it difficult? I mean, you were a head coach for that long and obviously a powerful person in business. And I don't mean this in an ego standpoint, but was it difficult to become an assistant after all that time, just from the reflexive you're used to making decisions, you're used to being the one that stands up on the bench and makes a call. Like, was there just almost an adjustment on that level? It, it was an adjustment. And and again, like you said, not from an ego standpoint, but when you come in as the third assistant, you get a lot of the things that have nothing to do with coaching. So, you know, being on the court and coaching. And I had to learn that. I had to learn, you know, breaking down film and all of that. And my head coach, Melissa, my uh, associate head coach, Matt Corkery, helped me with those things. And it was, you know, it was uh, 
a, a little rocky in the beginning, just trying to get that down pat. Um, but you know, I ended up doing that and, and, uh, and, and here I am. How, how about recruiting from the coaching standpoint? Was that something that took a while to kind of get your arms around? No, recruiting has always been one of my strong points. And so at Riverdale Baptist, I recruited. So I was so used to that. Um, I was used to recruiting student athletes and their families. And I felt very, very comfortable with that. And I think that helped as well, you know, in all my stops as an assistant coach. And you stopped, you, you, we mentioned, started at American. You're at Maryland, GW, uh, West Virginia. What's the biggest lesson you kind of learn over those stops that kind of get you ready to become a, a head coach at the college level? Well, you know, being under so many different head coaches and so many styles, I was able to pull some different things from all of them and kind of put my stamp along with the things that I've learned from them, um, which was a plus because they're all great coaches, which is what's a plus. So we put it all together. And when I became a head coach at Towson, I was ready to have all of those things plus my business background to to help us. To that point, when along that journey, you know, do you start to think, I feel like I'm ready for my own program? Was it right around the time that, that Towson or were you a couple of years, you were pretty confident that if the right opportunity comes along, I feel confident that I'm, I'm going to make a run for it? Yeah, I th- thought after the GW, the four years at GW, I thought I was ready to become a head coach. It didn't happen that way. You know, my head coach, Jonathan Sippus, left GW and I applied for the head coaching position and didn't get it. And so I was out a little bit. And then the head coach from West Virginia called and said, I want you to be my assistant coach and recruiting coordinator. So, uh, you know, I went and it was uh, a year delay, but I finally became a head coach at Towson. What are you inherit when you take over Towson? What's the state of the program? Well, uh, they they hadn't won, um, hadn't had winning seasons, very many winning seasons. And again, from being from the area, I had been a fan of Towson for a long time, and some of my for- former players played there. And uh, so I knew that it was a great, you know, it was a great arena and all those things. And and so when I went there, I knew I had that in mind, and I I knew um, what it needed, and I thought it needed an in you know infusion of athletes and went about that and, and recruited athletes and worked with my my staff to get them up and running. And we set records in the second year, the first time ever conference championship. So, you know, and I didn't look at, you know, again, that same mindset of being the best. It wasn't so much of looking at where they were and where we wanted to go. It was just trying to get my young ladies to be the best. And we started with building their confidence. And, you know, and those things turned into wins. Do you remember the first time at Towson when it all starts to click? Like, was there a moment, and maybe it's practice, maybe it's a bus ride, but that Mm -hmm. moment when you were like, we're going to, we're going to get this cooking. It's, it's coming together. Yeah. We, uh, you know, I've, I've always been a positive, positive person. And, uh, I remember the first year and I'm always, you know, encouraging and everything. And we were at university, we at Pitt and uh, at halftime, I think we were down 20 and I looked at my, uh, head, I mean, my assistant coach and, uh, 
who had been there the first time. And we looked at each other and we said, who we suck. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't let the girls hear that, but, you know, I knew we needed some, some extra work with them. And then the next year, I think we were in game eight, we were at Marshall and I kind of let them have it. And it was halftime. We were down uh, eight, I believe, or 12. And I let them have it. And I said, you know, you guys have been coddled. You've got you know, all this gear, you're traveling, you got food, you got all, it's time for you all to step up and, you know, just kind of went at them at halftime. And uh, we came out and we ended up winning by eight. And then we went on a six or seven game winning streak. And I knew it clicked for them that, okay, it's, it's time to step up. Now it's business. And I started, and I started to tell them nothing personal, strictly business. And we started using that NPSB, and we would put that on the bulletin board, nothing personal, strictly business. And uh, from then on, we just went on a tear. And that was the year you you guys went to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, the first first time in program history. What is kind of, you've won before, you've won, but to do something there that had never been done, you know, what's that like? How does that feel to to be the first person to, to put that banner up in an arena? It, it felt good for the young ladies, um, you know, to be able to do that. And, you know, I reached out to all the alumni and, and you know, big and trying to pull them in and thank them for the foundation and and, and invited the, the alumni to come to the banner, banner unveiling because I, I believe you can't get anywhere without a foundation. And, you know, just it was good for them to see that they had done something that had never been done before. And in that tournament, they really turned on. We, we were not favored to win. We had gone through the last three games of the regular season. We lost and we lost really bad. Um, And we played those player, those teams again in the tournament and beat them all the way to the championship. You're coaching at Towson during much of the pandemic. What was that experience like, you know, where everybody was searching throughout? But from your standpoint, what did you do to try to keep kids on point, to try to keep kids feeling together when everybody had to be apart? Yeah, and that was, you know, the the good thing about our young ladies is they understood what could possibly happen if one of them came back and were po- tested positive that, you know, we kept saying, don't be the one, you know, the one that goes out and goes to a party and comes back and brings COVID back. So they were really on top of that together. And that's that togetherness we talk about, you know, there for each other. And they didn't go home for Thanksgiving. They didn't go home for Christmas because they decided as a team, it is too much of a risk for someone to go home with their loved ones and, you know, you're home for the holiday and your cousins want to come see you and not knowing how, you know, how careful people were. So they stayed and I've got to give it to them, but, but I've got to tell you. So in January, we go to our conference game uh, and we're on the bus to JMU and I got COVID. So the only one that tested positive And it was a crazy thing. You know, I had been very, very careful because my daughter has an immune deficiency. 
So I'd been very, very careful the whole time. And my team was very careful because they knew how important it was for me and my family. And then I got COVID and my husband and I spread it to my husband and my two sons and my husband and I almost didn't make it. So we were pretty bad with COVID. And um, so it was tough for us. It was tough for the team to be, to lose their coach like that and possibly lose me, lose my life. And when I came back, we were all so locked in with each other because we saw how devastating it could be. And we, um, you know, when I finally came back to work full time after about a month, uh, you know, we had some stoppages because other teams had COVID and all that. So it was an up and down season for us. And um, we didn't finish it the way we wanted because there were so many stops. And and then I was out for a while, too. But it was it was tough. You know, it was tough on us. I think it was a really a tough mental challenge for our team, too, to see how devastating that disease could be because they saw it happen to me and my husband. So I think the mental part of it was really, really tough getting through that year. And then the next year where we had some stoppages as well. Did that change you at all, that experience with COVID? I mean, not just the effect it had on you, but seeing the effect it had on your husband. I mean, that, uh, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. I, and I think it did change me. I'm, you know, obviously you, you, you think about your life and what kind of things you want to accomplish and the people you want to be around. And it, it makes you kind of stop and smell the roses a little bit and, um, you know, and just spread love as much as you can. So it, it really changed us a little bit. Um, and then it also realized that how blessed we were to have all that we have uh, and to still be here to enjoy it. What is your favorite part of what you do? It is changing the way these young ladies look at themselves because I, I am really big on instilling confidence in them, just confidence, not just on the basketball court, but confidence in them themselves and to see them blossom when it hits them that, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I feel good about myself. My self-esteem is, is, is high and all of that works well on the court and off the court. And we see them going on to do some great things in life. And that's been the most enjoyable thing for me is just seeing them being confident. Given your journey, if I go back in time and talk to 25 year old Diane Richardson and I Mm -hmm. tell her where Diane Richardson's going to be in 2022. Would she believe it? Uh, probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but I've truly been blessed. And, uh, you know, I just, I've, I've loved my life in all that's in it, the ups and the downs, because it's all, it's, uh, it's taught me a lot of things. And the birth of my daughter with special needs has taught me a lot of things. And uh, it is also, I share that with all my players. And so they have that compassionate side as well, because they see what my daughter Dana has gone through and how much she works hard to do the little things that we are used to doing automatically. And all that you've gone through, I would imagine it makes it a lot easier to keep games in perspective. That, you know, 
yeah, it sucks we lost in double overtime. You should have done this. You should have done that. But, you know, let's put it aside and we'll, we'll get through it and we'll get the next one. Yeah. And and my players say that I'm, I'm not too high, not too low. So I'm very calm with things like, OK, let, that's done. And let's build on that and let's perfect it and let's go. Diane Richardson, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. I enjoyed it. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank New Temple University head women's basketball coach Diane Richardson for being our guest this week. If you like the show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to join us again next time when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.